1209. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Um, President Trump is going to be holding a news conference sometime soon. We'll, we'll dip into it. I don't think there's much surprise to it. Um, the House passed, the House and Senate passed a, an omnibus, omnibus spending bill, which would prevent a government shutdown. Um, there, there's a lot to, frankly, not like about the spending bill. If you are a conservative, um, had, had support from a lot of Democrats because it's got a ton of domestic spending, a lot of which should actually be troubling to people who care about budgetary restraint. Um, it does do other things, though, funding the military, and it keeps the government running, which is the important thing about it. President Trump had been calling for something like this and then surprised a number of people yesterday by implying that because it didn't fully fund his border wall and a couple other things, um, he was thinking about vetoing it, which caught a lot of people by surprise because um, Congress is preparing to come home for a while, and if they don't get something done, uh, the government would, in fact, shut down um, at midnight tonight. Um, the latest reports are, despite you know what the president um, implied or suggested, he now does intend to sign this bill, and so the government will continue running. Like I say, it's it's really... I think a disappointing way to to make legislation because, you know, this bill, one of the big complaints that a lot of people, myself included, had about Obamacare was the fact that it it came out, um, the final form, the vast majority of people in Congress had never read the entire bill before they voted on it. Remember the famous line, well, we've got to vote for it before we figure out, you know, what's in it. Well, th- this this spending bill is a lot like that. And the more you go through the different lines and the different things that they're spending money on, the more you kind of look from a conservative perspective and go, really? I mean, is this why we're electing Republicans to spend this type of stuff? Having said that, I, I understand you got to get things done. Uh, a government shutdown is not in anybody's interest. And maybe this is just what you need to do to make these things happen. Interestingly, when President Trump, though, was talking about vetoing this bill and again, bringing us to the brink of a government shutdown, he, he wasn't talking about, gee, I think it's got too much domestic spending or too much wasteful spending in it. He was saying it doesn't have enough for his pet priorities. But we will dip into the news conference when he launches into it. But again, I, I don't know that I don't want to bury the lead. All the reports are is that despite the saber rattling of yesterday, he intends to sign this so there will not be a government shutdown. All right. I want to start off big story number one by what is going on up in Keele, Wisconsin today. Um, Keele community that it's mostly in Manitowoc County to our north, a little part of Keele straddles Calumet County. But it's a community about, um, you know, 3,500 people or so. The high school is closed today, and and let me discuss what happened. Apparently, earlier this week, there was some rumor, and that's how it's being described. There was a rumor that there might be some violence at Keele today, um, the high school today. So um, police were notified, and apparently this has been the subject of a, of a pretty intense investigation over the last couple days. Police and school officials have concluded, had concluded that this was not a credible threat. There, there was nothing, in other words, nothing to be worried about, nothing to see here. But nevertheless, they were taking these things seriously. So this morning, 
um, there was a, a larger police presence at Keel being planned because better safe than, than sorry. So you have a number of officers that are assembling and they're discussing, even though we don't think this is a real threat, you know, we're, we're prepared to, this is how we're going to handle this today. We're going to be in school. We want everybody to be safe. Kids are on their way to school. They are on buses and things of, of the like. What happens is a, a school employee, they describe it as a staff person inside the building around 6.45 a.m., makes a call, and he or she says that, gee, I, I, there were, I think there were shots fired around the south entrance to the high school. And again, at the time of this 911 call, Police are police are, are right there. I mean, so they are on the scene within literally a minute, literally a minute. They are on the scene because they're already mobilizing because there's this other thing. And you get this staff person who calls and says that there were shots fired. So there is an extensive investigation. What happens is the buses uh, that are bringing the kids to school are all diverted. Don't bring anybody to the school grounds. The school is evacuated. The police do an investigation, and at least based based on what it appears now, the caller was wrong. Now they're not they're not exactly coming out and saying that the staff person who said he or she heard gunshots was wrong, but they're saying. We've investigated this, and we, we can essentially find no evidence that there were shots fired. So you, you don't know what the staff person thinks they heard. You don't know if they heard a car backfiring. You don't know. You don't know what they heard, but it wasn't shots fired, at least according to what their investigation is right now. So the 911 call was wrong, but nevertheless, um, in an exercise of caution, they divert all the kids, all the buses. They evacuate the school, and they have now um, the school was closed today. You know, sent all the kids home. Um, again, the report appears to be incorrect. I don't. This wasn't a. This wasn't a hoax, though. It was a staff person who, again, reading between the lines, thought they heard something that they didn't. But the result of this is that um, the, the school is closed for the day. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did authorities overreact? Did the school officials under the circumstance overreact in closing school and sending all the kids home? Because it does now appear that whoever made this call was wrong. Wasn't a hoax, but was wrong. No evidence that apparently that there were shots fired, and I think they don't think that there were, but they closed the school based on this particular call. Was that an overreaction? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Should they have let the kids come to school? Maybe done a lockdown. The police were already there. I mean, they were there within a minute. So you already had plans for a larger police presence. Was it an overreaction to close the school? Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Good, good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Good hi, afternoon, Mike. Jeff. Uh, my thoughts are, I'm not real that familiar with the Kiel area, but I'm thinking that's kind of a marshy area over there. Some guy could be turkey hunting or duck hunting this morning, and uh, I think it's an overreaction. Uh, that's my only thought. I don't know what else to think. 
but people are getting to be too jittery. Well, yeah, it could have been a car backfiring. I mean, who, who knows what it was? And again, we're going to assume that the school person wasn't was doing this in good faith. They hear something, they think it shots fired, so they make the call, and this is this reaction. You think that there should have been more of an investigation before making the decision to close school? Well, absolutely. I, I think it's just kind of an offshot of somebody in the field, you know, going for a turf or duck. I, I don't get anything, you know, more than that right now. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually agree with Mike. I understand you want to be safe rather than sorry. I, I, I get it. But this is the type of stuff, particularly in rural areas, where you, I mean, I don't know if it's a truck backfiring I don't know if somebody, you know, dropped something in the back. I don't know if the person just thought they heard something that they never heard before. But you had the police there. I think the better thing to have done would have been to allow this to play off. The cops were there within within literally a minute. That's what they say. Get the police there. Scour the area. Let the kids come in. Maybe move them to the gym or whatever till you determine whether or not this is real or not. And I understand you want to be safe rather than sorry. I, I get it. But every time somebody thinks they hear something that might be a gunshot or, uh, again, maybe it's some duck hunter in the Keel Marsh State Wildlife Area or something or whatever, um, every time you hear something like that, can you close the school? Now, I admit the overlay to this was you had a rumor that there was going to be something that happened at the school, so maybe everybody, including this person, you know, was on edge about this. So, I mean, I, I get that you've got that on ongoing here, but the authorities had already determined this was not a credible threat. So somebody hears a noise, and now you close school. I think that's an overreaction. And if that's going to be the standard nowadays, I think we're going to be closing schools a lot. 414-799-1620, we continue the conversation, and we will dip into the president's news conference once he begins. It's uh, 1218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks' offense has no trouble putting points on the board, but the defense continues to get worse. Is this due to scheme or a lack of effort? Greg Matzik thinks some guys just aren't buying in anymore. Join the discussion tonight at 635 on Sports Central. I don't think there's any question that the Bucks are one of the most disappointing teams in the NBA this year for whatever reason. Okay, we're talking about what happened at Keel High School this morning. Keel is Keel is a wonderful little community, about 3500 people. It's on the border of it borders like Manitowoc and Calumet County. What happens is they have a staff person about 6:45 this morning who thinks they hear shots being fired. Calls 911 and they make the decision, we're closing down the school, kids are already in school buses, don't anybody come to the school grounds, let's send them to other places, and then they cancel school for the day. Whatever the staff person thought they heard, um, it, 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 it wasn't, it either wasn't gunshots or it wasn't gunshots anywhere near the school. Maybe it was a truck backfiring. Maybe it was some you know, goose hunter or something, you know, somewhere a long way away. But, but it wasn't related to any sort of shooting at the school. So the report, was erroneous to the extent that it implied that there were some shots fired at the high school itself, and now everybody's out of school. My point is, I think you have to be careful. I understand you want to be safe. I understand that. 
but you had police that were on the scene within about a, a minute, I think rather than canceling school, the better thing would have been, okay, let's keep the school bus, let's let the school buses come, let's keep the buses in the parking lot if you don't want to have them unload, that's fine. Let's wait and see what we have going on here because otherwise, I mean, what is now the standard? And I get that everybody wants to be safe, but at any rural school during hunting season, you know, anytime somebody hears a, a what they think might be a shot, you're now going to like cancel school. Now here's the flip side. I have an email from one of our listeners, Christine, who says, My son goes there. I do not think they overreacted. My son was staying home anyway due to the potential threat from earlier this week. That of course, um earlier this week there was some rumor the police had already said, um, no, we're not we're nothing to this. It is not a credible threat at all. But nevertheless, in the exercise of caution, they were going to have a larger police presence. This is the problem I can see that school districts have because you have some parents who just say, well, OK, there, there was this rumor here that, that this is going to occur. And even though nobody says it's credible, I'm not going to send my child there. Um, problem. OK, let's see. Better safe than sorry. Well, OK, I I get that better safe than sorry. Um, but, but how far do you carry that? I, I mean, seriously, that's, that's the issue. How far do you carry this notion of better safe than sorry? Um, anytime somebody thinks they hear something, do you just then immediately say, okay, somebody thinks they heard a gunshot, boom, we're going to close, close schools. Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I couldn't imagine being in that position and saying, don't, let's not close the school. Let's get those kids off the school bus. And then a guy pops up from the roof and unloads on kids getting off the school bus. That's the kind of thought that is going through the process when they're making those decisions. So now the standard is anytime somebody thinks they hear a gunshot, you're going to cancel school. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, you have an incredible person from inside the school saying they believe they heard gunshots. Right. right, and the police get the police are there, and they do their investigation, and it turns out that that person is wrong. So that, I guess that's what I'm saying. Anytime when was some, school canceled before or after that point? It was it was canceled after the person made the phone call. Correct, correct. But did they cancel it after the cops did their investigation or before the investigation? The cops so were on the, the cops were on the scene, and they were doing it while they were doing the investigation. Scott, I. I I, I, I'd love to continue the conversation. We've got the president who's just starting, and I promised I'd dip in. This is the president's news conference. We'll deal with a wonderful ally. We're getting very close to it. Uh, it was a deal that was causing a lot of problems for our country in terms of employment and in terms of lots of other things. I, I might ask uh, Secretary Ross to just say a few words about that, and then we're going to get on to this ridiculous situation that took place over the last week. So, Secretary Ross. Thank you, Mr. President. We, we believe we are relatively close to a pretty comprehensive resolution with the South Korean government. It will encompass, if it goes through, both the 232s and broader trade issues. Uh, and we hope by sometime next week to be able to have a real announcement. Thank you very much, Wilbur. I appreciate it. The last time 
We negotiated something like this, and as you know, it's always been a problem for our country. They get together and they create a series of documents that nobody's been able to read because it was, it was just done. Now, you tell me who can read that quickly. It takes a long time to read it. For the last eight years, deep defense cuts have undermined our national security. How old are, and they just, if you look at what's taken out, they've hallowed our readiness as a military unit and put America at really grave risk. My highest duty is to keep America safe. Nothing more important. The omnibus bill reverses this dangerous defense. As crazy as it's been, as difficult as it's been, as much opposition to the military as we've had from the Democrats, and it has been tremendous. I try to explain to them, you know, the military is for Republicans and Democrats and everybody else. It's for everybody. But we have tremendous opposition to creating really what will be the far, by far, the strongest military that we've ever had. We've had that from the Democrats. So if we take something for the military, they want something for, in many cases, things that are really a wasted sum of money. It's not right, and it's very bad for our country. We're looking to do funding for our final fight in certain areas. As you know, we've gotten just about 100% of our land back from ISIS. We have troop increases necessary to accomplish what we have to do, and we have, very importantly, a pay increase for our troops. And this will be actually the largest pay increase for our incredible people in over a decade. It increases total defense spending by more than $60 billion from last year and funds the addition of critically needed ships, planes, helicopters, tanks, and submarines. We have submarines being built, the likes of which there's nothing anywhere in the world like the submarines we build. Our military equipment is the best equipment in the world. And one of the things you saw two days ago with Saudi Arabia and with other countries, Saudi Arabia, as an example, is buying hundreds of billions of dollars worth of our equipment. And we're getting very fast approvals on that. Therefore, as a matter of national security, I've signed this omnibus budget bill. There are a lot of things that I'm unhappy about in this bill. There are a lot of things that we shouldn't have had in this bill, but we were, in a sense, forced, if we want to build our military, we were forced to have. There are some things that we should have in the bill. But I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. Nobody read it. It's only hours old. Some people don't even know what it is. $1.3 trillion. It's the second largest ever. President Obama signed one that was actually larger, which I'm sure he wasn't too happy with either. But in this case, it became so big because we need to take care of our military. And because the Democrats, who don't believe in that, added things that they wanted in order to get their votes. We have to get rid of the filibuster rule. We have to get rid of the filibuster rule and go to 51 votes in the Senate if we're going to have really sustained, continued success. DACA recipients have been treated extremely badly. 
by the Democrats. We wanted to include DACA. We wanted to have them in this bill. 800,000 people. And actually, it could even be more. And we wanted to include DACA in this bill. The Democrats would not do it. They would not do it. To prevent the omnibus situation from ever happening again, I'm calling on Congress to give me a line-item veto for all government spending bills, and the Senate must end. They must end the filibuster rule and get down to work. We have to get a lot of great legislation approved, and without the filibuster rule, it'll happen just like magic. I want to address the situation on border security, which I call national defense. I call it stopping drugs from pouring across our border. And I call it illegal immigration. It's all of those things. But national defense is a very important two words. Because by having a strong border system, including a wall, we are in a position militarily that is very advantageous. And before I get off of that subject, I'd like to ask Secretary Mattis to talk about what we've accomplished in terms of the military, because there has never been anything like we've been able to do. Our military is very depleted, but it's rapidly getting better. You're listening to WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. We're going to continue coverage of the president's press availability news conference. He's announced that he is going to sign the omnibus spending bill, which will keep the government running. He is not happy about signing it, though, and we'll continue to see what the president has to say. One of the most effective means of preserving the peace. As the president noted, today we received the largest military budget in history reversing many years of decline and unpredictable funding. And together, we are going to make our military stronger than ever. We in the military are humbled and grateful to the American people for their sacrifices on behalf of this funding. Now, it's our responsibility in the military to spend every dollar wisely in order to keep the trust and the confidence of the American people and the Congress. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, General. The border we've worked very hard on. We have a lot of, uh, really by any standard, a lot, but not by this standard, but we're going to make it go a long way. We have a lot of money coming to the border, and it will be coming over a period of time. We funded the initial down payment of $1.6 billion. We're going to be starting work literally on Monday on not only some new wall, not enough, but we're working on that very quickly, but also fixing existing walls and existing acceptable fences. There are some areas that you have to see through. You have to be able to see through the other side in order to see what's coming. And in many cases, it's not a pretty picture when you look, but you have to be able to see it. So. We have $1.6 billion for the wall. That'll start immediately. Uh, this is a short-term funding, but it's immediate. Starts immediately. And I'd like to ask Secretary Nielsen to say a few words about what we've done in terms of homeland 
security and what it's 12:35 this is Jeff Wagner WTMJ we'll continue to monitor the the news conference the the, the take on this the government was scheduled to run out of money uh, at the end of the day today midnight tonight uh, Congress is not in session. I mean, senators have gone home or people have split. So there was a, a bill that was presented to the president. The, the bill, and I was watching the TV feed of it. They have it on there, up there. Um, it's 2,300 pages. So, I mean, if I were to stand up, it looks like the pages would come up to about my knee. I'm six one. Okay. So it, it's this huge stack of paper. The, the paper was apparently dropped on, on congressmen and senators. Um, they, they got it with less than 24 hours notice. So I'm willing to bet that there's nobody who has read the final bill in its entirety. The president has said that he's going to sign this. And he's going to sign it because it, it provides money for national security. It, it funds national defense. It's got a number of things in there that, that he, he likes. Um, he objects to the spending. And he says, I'm not going to ever do this again, this last-minute type of thing. But I'm going to sign this now so the government will continue to be funded, I think, through the end of September. I think this runs through September. Um, my problem with this, and I think it's going to get worse, not better, is as you go through this bill, there, there's a lot of domestic spending that I think many people are going to find to be excessive. And I understand that you know politics is the art of compromise and things like that, but I think there's a lot of stuff that's buried in this bill that um, funds things or spends money in a way that probably the majority of people wouldn't support, but you needed to put that in there to get this vote or that vote or the other thing. But the bottom line is the way this is being spun is it's being signed because you need the commitment to national defense and national security, and this is what we had to do in order to get this through. The bill doesn't address the DACA situation, the the 800,000 dreamers um, who have been allowed to stay in this country. These are the people who came to this country when they were juveniles, brought in the country illegally by their parents who came illegally, and it doesn't address the whole question of can they stay, can they go. So it leaves a lot of open questions. But the bottom line is no government shutdown at this moment. The president says he's not happy about signing the bill, but nevertheless he went ahead and signed it. It's 1238. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, with just 11 games to go. Giannis and company look to get back to their winning ways. Ted Davis is on the call as the Bucks head south on I-94 to square off with the Chicago Bills. It all starts here at 640 tonight. Be sure to tune in. All right, big story number two. And I, I want to kind of expand on this, and this is one where I, maybe it's going to be a heated conversation here. Um, the Wisconsin Assembly. Um, has come up with a, a bill that they've gone, sent to the Senate. I don't know if the Senate's going to pass it or not, but what it would do is it would apply the state background check system um, that now is in place for for handgun sales. It would apply it to the similar purchases of rifles and shotguns. Uh, the way it works right now is that if you buy a handgun um, under state law, they need to there, there's a need to run a background check. Um, it does not apply to um, rifles and shotguns. This would apply it. It tracks a federal law. Right now, there is a federal law which says 
if you are a licensed federal firearms dealer, before you can sell a gun, there needs to be a background check that's run. This would, on the state level, it would extend that similar sort of law to cover shotguns and rifles. Okay, I don't think that's the real heart of the issue, though. Regardless of of where you are on the gun control scale, I think we would all agree that one of the key elements to to meaningful crime control slash gun control is keeping guns out of the hands of people who should not have them. If you have somebody who is dangerously mentally ill, they shouldn't be able to get a gun. Um, to that extent, I think background checks are important. Are background checks a guarantee that somebody who shouldn't have a gun isn't going to get one? No, of, of course not. That's not the, no pun intended, magic bullet. Because, for example, there's uh, there's pro- always problems with reporting. Maybe somebody who has an order or something like that against them, it doesn't get logged in the system, so a background check doesn't pick it up. So there's always going to be people that slip through the cracks. Additionally, there's always going to be people who are be able to you know get firearms uh, either through the black market or you know, take them from you know um, lawful owners, things like that. So I, I agree and I understand that background checks aren't aren't necessarily this guarantee that you're going to be able to solve the problem. But at the same time, I think if you are purchasing a firearm, it is not an unreasonable thing to say, hey, you should have a background check. Um, there is a huge issue now with regard to what they call universal background checks. What that means is, again, under the law, the the background checks have to be run, federal law have to be run if you are a federal firearms dealer, if you've got a federal license. So it does not apply to individuals who are selling guns, but they aren't federal firearms dealers. So you go to a gun show. They talk about this as being the gun show loophole. Well, a number of dealers that show up at gun shows are, of course, federally licensed firearms dealers. So they have to run background checks before they can sell guns. But some people aren't, and they are exempt from this. So the concern is that somebody who would not legally be able to buy a firearm can avoid the background check and get the gun simply by, again, going to, for example, a gun show and going up to somebody who's not a federal firearm dealer, licensed dealer, an FFL is what they call it, federal firearm licensee, and and buying the gun from them. And they get the gun, whereas if they'd gone to somebody who was the licensed dealer, they would have to have the background check and presumably would stop them from buying it. The estimates are kind of all over the map. The, you know, depending on what study you look at, some suggest that as much as 80% of the firearm sales in this country are through licensed dealers. So that means the background check has to be run. Some estimates say maybe it's only as high as 60%. The truth is somewhere in between. But the whole notion of universal background checks means that if you are selling a firearm, um, before you sell it, you have to take the information and you would be legally required to run the background check. And then, of course, if it came back positive, 
you would be liable for, uh, again, you know, you'd be committing a crime by selling the gun to somebody that you couldn't, wasn't supposed to have it. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm willing to go where, where angels fear to tread on this. I understand that, that hardcore Second Amendment advocates don't believe in universal background checks. I guess as in an effort to try to find, you know, compromises on these issues, candidly, I don't understand how people can be opposed to background checks. I mean, I guess I don't think it is unreasonable to say, all right, if you're going to be selling a firearm here, what you have to do is you have to call this particular number and you have to give this information and they're going to be able to tell you whether you can legally sell that to the person or not. I think, and again, there might be some, you know, ministerial complications that you have to figure out how to work out, but I guess I don't think it's unreasonable to run a background check to make sure that somebody is trying to buy who is trying to buy a firearm in the private market, you know, it isn't somebody who's not legally allowed to own the gun. And if it applies to the federal firearms dealers, why shouldn't it apply to everybody? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. Universal background checks. Is that is it reasonable in today's day and age to require that? It's twelve forty seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Bob in Brookfield. Bob, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Uh, I don't have a problem with universal background checks, except as a private individual, does this mean you now have to keep the paperwork in perpetuity like a FFL would? And does this start us down the path of gun registration? Because you need to know then where that gun is at all times in order to prove you're not responsible for it. So your question is, how would you handle the record keeping and how long do you have to keep it? Like people say, keep the tax returns for at least seven years or something like that. Correct. And would this now then automatically start the next step, which is we'll just register all guns because how do I know the one that's in your possession has gone through a background check unless you can prove to me that well, it's registered somewhere? Well, typically, I mean, there is a criminal statute of limitations. So it would seem to me that, and, and I think that's fair. If you're going to have a universal background check, there, there obviously has to be a time limit on this because, uh, and maybe that ties in with the statute of limitations for the, the crime, whether it's three years or five years or, or whatever. So, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, if I if I sell a handgun, if I decide I don't want my gun anymore and I sell it on the private market, I, I think you're right. It's unreasonable to say you've got to keep that paperwork for the next 25 years. At some point in time, I, I think it's fair to say, okay, let's move on. Um, the general concept, though, you don't have a problem with universal background checks. It's, yours is just... Uh, arguments with the mechanics of it uh more so becoming a fan of it and here's my example i was at a recent gun show locally and you know how sometimes your spidey sense creeps up when you see somebody or you watch it right as a student of nature i followed a couple of young gentlemen around as they were at the show obviously looking to buy guns looking to buy something that didn't require background checks and after a little bit they found someone who was willing to sell them the guns so I got, went up to the gentleman afterwards and asked him, hey, none of my business. I know it's a private sale. I'm just kind of curious for my own information. What kind of hit did you get off of these people and why? And in this case, it's cancer transaction. Mm-hmm. Two individuals both wanted to buy guns. 
One of them didn't have a driver's license. And this guy said, all I want to do is see a driver's license. He did not sell it to the one without a driver's license. He sold it to his buddy, who he knew it was going to give it to him. Right, right. constitutes a straw sale. And I said, well, you knew that. He said, not my problem. Right. Watch the individuals leave the gun show, go to their SUV, put them in, come back for the second trip. And they did that several times. Right, right. And now, and again, and that I that raise some suspicion. Yeah, see, I, I, I mean, thanks to call. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that that's that's what the concern is. Now, I understand. I'm getting a lot of feedback from people saying, "Well, you know, this isn't going to solve the problem. There's still going to be ways that people can find to get firearms." And and I freely acknowledge that. Now, the, the estimates are that since they put the the background check requirement in place in 1994. I mean, there's been a couple million people who have been turned down um, for various reasons. Now, does that mean that those people didn't go buy a gun somewhere else or didn't figure out another way to get it? No, I'm sure some of them I'm sure some of them were able to do that. At the same time, it does strike me as a deterrent. And given the fact that we're, we're now moving to these systems with all the computerization and stuff where you're really able to do the instant kind of background checks, I, I guess I, I don't. I think it is a reasonable compromise. I understand that the concern some people have is this is this is the slippery slope leading to gun registration and things like that. And my argument has always been you got to be careful with the slippery slope type of thing. The, the, the real question is if there's people that aren't supposed to have guns that are trying to get guns, is it reasonable to try to put impediments in front of them? And just like this has been my argument with bump stocks all the time, if it's illegal to buy a right, a firearm that fires in an automatic fashion, unless you, you go and go through all the different hoops you have to jump through to, to get a machine gun, right? Should you be able to buy something for $35, which takes an otherwise legal firearm and turns it into an illegal firearm? And my answer would be, no, I think that's a reasonable sort of thing. I guess I kind of look that way with, with background checks. If you... If you want to go and purchase a firearm from a federally licensed dealer and they're going to have to make that phone call and do the background check to make sure that somebody who's not legally allowed to have a firearm doesn't get the firearm, does it make sense to say, all right, you, you can you can avoid this requirement simply by buying a gun from somebody on Craigslist or off of Craigslist um, who doesn't have a federal firearms license. I guess I look at that and I say, I think this is one of these reasonable measures that maybe people should be able to agree with. Now, if you want to take the next step and say, okay, this is going to lead to gun registration, well, universal registration, well, I'll, I'll be on your side. We'll deal with that when it happens. But I, I think, candidly, you know, people have to take a step back after all the different levels of violence that has gone on. And I understand it's the perpetrator, but part of it is if we want to concentrate on keeping firearms out of the hands of people who shouldn't have it. I, I think background checks are a way to do it. It's 1256. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A reminder, Insight 2018 is coming up um, this coming Wednesday. Boy, time is running out. It's Wednesday, March 28th at the Country Springs Hotel. Doors open at 530 
The taping starts at 6.30. we got a great guest list. Uh, the headliner is, of course, Governor Scott Walker. We'll sit, have several segments with the governor. It's your chance. What's so really cool about this is, first of all, it's your chance to kind of see a radio show up close and personal and the makings of that, but also with our various guests, whether it's a, the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin or the Republican Senate candidates or the governor or and a number of the other people that are going to be there more than that in just a minute. It's your chance to see them in a setting that you probably don't typically get a chance to see them in. And if you're a news junkie, it's the place to, to be. Um, maybe they're people you hear on the radio. Maybe they're people you see on TV. Maybe they're people you've heard you know, speak at big rallies and stuff. Well, this is a much more intimate setting. And um, I hope you come out. It, it will be a lot of fun. The ticket sales have been robust, but you know we're we're always going to try to do everything we can to make sure that we've got you know room to accommodate people. Uh, the tickets are on sale now. WTMJ.com. You go there. You're going to see Jeff Wagner's Insight 2018. It's 25 bucks for an evening of entertainment. And I uh, hope to see a lot of people out there. Like I say, Insight 2018 is coming up on Wednesday night. And then what we're going to do is we're actually going to be replaying Insight um, that following day, that Thursday. We're going to be replaying two hours of the show in radio time because that's opening day for the Brewers. They are opening in San Diego this year, so um, an abbreviated show. So we'll play a number of the Insight interviews on Thursday, and then we'll play some more on, on Friday as well. That's how we're going to end up handling it. But Insight 2018, it is coming up, so be there. should be very, very interesting. I always look forward to this. It's always one of our favorite events of the year. So hope to see you out at the Country Springs Hotel on uh, March 28th, which is this coming Wednesday. All right. Yeah. The, the next, the theme of my, my next two little topics are, it's just a hell of a world. And I don't know how else to say that. It's, it's a hell of a world. There, yesterday, Highway 51 between Beaver Dam, Highway 151, U.S. Highway, between Beaver Dam and Columbus was shut down for about an hour. What happened was about 3.30 in the afternoon, the Dodge County Sheriff's Department received a call from someone who said he had just shot another man and had taken hostages near Highway 151 and Forest Road. All right, we've just shot somebody, we've taken hostages. All right, can you imagine? You know, that call comes into the Dodge County Sheriff's Office. Okay, well, that's that's the call that sets off all the, the red lights at which point in time the, the sheriff's department responds. I mean, everybody drops everything. Here, there's a murder. We've got hostages. Everybody drops everything, and they respond to that area. One of the things that they do immediately is, okay, we're going to shut down the, the roads around there. You know, we're going to investigate. Well, they get there. They do the investigation, and what they find, of course, is that there there was no shooting. There was no hostages taken. This was another example of, of what's been going on over the course of the last couple of years, and it's it's still growing in favor. They call this swatting, S-W-A-T-T-I-N-G, and what it involves is making prank calls of this nature designed to try to draw a SWAT team, you know, a tactical response to locations with unsuspecting victims. Now, in this particular case, the effect was to shut down a highway. A lot of times it'll be, here, I think I'm 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 mad at somebody, so I'm going to SWAT them. So 
Um, if I know Gru's home address, for example, you make the call saying, hey, there's been a shooting at this address, there's a hostage situation, whatever, and then, of course, you know, Gru's at home watching whatever he's watching on TV, and next thing you know, your house is surrounded by SWAT team people, people with rifles and things like that. Um, th- this this is, of course, the ongoing trend. Obviously, the Dodge County Sheriff's Department is saying, look, this is there's nothing funny about this in particular. What happened is shortly after this call came in, um, apparently a number three people fell through the ice. And, and so if, if the timing had just been a little different, they might not have had enough people to make the emergency response to the true emergency because they were off chasing after all this foolishness. So, I mean, it, it's one of these things that's out there. I, I lump this in the category of things I don't get because I think I have a reasonably decent sense of humor. I, I, I do. Um and I understand the whole notion of prank calls, but this idea that we are going to try to make this type of call with the idea that we are going to try to cause law enforcement to react in this particular fashion, why anybody would think that is funny is absolutely beyond me. And I will go one step further, and maybe this is a reason why I'll never never was or never will be a judge. If I if, if somebody stood in front of me in a courtroom and got convicted of doing something like this, I will tell you, um, it would be drop the hammer time for Judge Wagner. Because, you know, by doing this, there's a certain type of sick individual that does this. This is not a prank. This is not a harmless sort of thing. This is, this is something that you gotta be pretty sick, in my opinion, to do. And if you did it and you got caught with it, I think this is one that you spend a lot of time in prison thinking about that decision. So if you were wondering what happened on U.S. Highway 151 yesterday and your life got disrupted because all of a sudden you couldn't get through, um, well, it's because somebody thought it was funny to say, hey, I've murdered somebody and I'm holding hostages. Ha, 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 ha. All right. Tomorrow night, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, is going to be at the Riverside um, Theater. And what they have is um, it's Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which in my opinion is the best Star Trek movie that they've made. Um, he, they're going to be screening that, and then Bill Shatner is going to be there afterwards talking about the making of the movie, answering questions about his career and Captain Kirk and all. It sounds like an absolutely outstanding evening. It is tomorrow night. We have one final pair of tickets to give away to that show. Now, here, here's the catch, though. Tickets have to be picked up by the close of business today. Today is Friday, so if you're not going to be able to get to our studios um, here on Capitol Drive, don't don't try to win them because that you're you know if if you can't get here by the close of business today, um, you you won't be able to pick them up. So that's not right. If you can pick them up at our studios today and you are interested in going, it sounds like a great show, caller number 7-414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller number 7 wins a pair of tickets to see uh, Captain Kirk, William Shatner, and the Wrath of Khan at the Riverside Theater tomorrow night. 414-799-1620 is the number. It's 116. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, okay, he's certainly not Dad of the Year. But is he a murderer? Stick around. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we gave away our tickets to see Bill Shatner at the uh, Riverside Theater tomorrow night. Sometime between now and the end of the program, I have a pair of tickets to Insight uh, next Wednesday night at the Country Springs Hotel 
to give away as well. So keep listening for that. The Brewers wrap up spring training this weekend and head to Houston for two exhibition games against the Astros. Gene Miller checks in with Greg Matzek live from Houston at 7.51 Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Yeah, that's cool. Matzek is going to be going to Houston for the last couple exhibition games and then going out to uh, San Diego for uh, the road opener. Then, of course, he'll be back in town. A week from Monday is our opening day extravaganza. Um, you want to be tuned here to WTMJ. I'll be partly working the morning shift, as I have for a number of years. I think Steve Scafidi is going to be out in our big talking box. I'm going to be in Miller Park in the dugout like I always am, doing interviews with various players and management. We always... I, we're, we're almost all, for the last number of years, we've been able to arrange to have Mark Atanasio and Bob Euchre there. A lot of times they come out together. It's just a blast. So opening day all leading up to the first pitch. That is a week from Monday. So a lot of big stuff going on here on the radio station. Insight 2018, Wednesday night, rebroadcast on Thursday and then portions again on Friday. Brewers Road Opener on Thursday from San Diego. Greg Matzik will be out there. Then, of course, the Home Opener a week from Monday. How cool is all that? All right. I I am prepared that you might not agree with me on this one, but I I want you to think about this. Um, There's a guy. His name is Terry Hibbert. He's 60 years old. Um, It's always unfair to look at somebody's picture or their mugshot and, and to, you know, judge a book by the cover, but... If you look at this guy's picture, he looks like exactly the type of guy who did what he is accused of doing. All right, here's the story. Terry Hibbert, he's 60 years old. He is apparently a heroin user. His daughter, his daughter, who passed away in her 30s, um, she was 32 years old. She was also a heroin user. Here is what happened. Last July 10th, um, what happened is Hibbert, dad, drove his daughter to Milwaukee to buy heroin. And apparently this was an ongoing thing. He would frequently drive his daughter to Milwaukee maybe once or twice a week to buy heroin. And what would happen is she was a heroin user. He was apparently a heroin user. Um, in exchange for driving daughter to score heroin, a uh, daughter would give dad a little bit of heroin himself. The family that does dope together, stay, whatever, you know, so, but, but that was the deal. They're both heroin users. Daughter has various sources in Milwaukee. Dad has the car. They drive down and they score heroin together. And I understand for, for all you fathers out there, your, or, or mothers, you're listening to this story going, they did what? Well, that's, that's what this was. So anyhow, what happens is July 9th of last year, dad lives in Grafton. Dad drives daughter down to Milwaukee and daughter buys $60 worth of really potent heroin from some guy named Cheese as in like Gouda or whatever, Cheese, on 60th and Good Hope. Okay, what happened? Cheese is later been identified as a guy named Davian Poe. All right, um, so you got the drug dealer. Dad drives daughter. They meet up with the drug dealer. Daughter buys 60 bucks worth of heroin 
from the drug dealer. All right. What happened is then they, they drive back to wherever they're, they're coming from. Daughter gives dad a line of heroin to snort and then keeps the rest for himself. So dad goes to wherever he goes. Um, daughter apparently was staying with a, a friend and goes and presumably ingests whatever remains of the heroin that she just bought. Daughter overdoses and dies, because this was apparently extremely potent. So daughter dies. Uh, the drug dealer, Cheese, was um, charged with, uh, again, distributing the, the drugs. Um, he pled guilty to first-degree reckless homicide, was sentenced to eight years in prison and 10 years of extended supervision. So they charge the drug dealer with, again, reckless homicide by giving, you know, the, the heroin to the girl, 32 year old woman. She dies. Okay. All right. Fine. Here, here's where it gets interesting. The other day, the DA's office in Ozaki County has charged dad whose role in this was driving daughter to various, you know, heroin dealers over the course of time, including driving her to this last drug deal, and she ends up dying as an overdose. Dad has now been charged with first-degree reckless homicide, the same charge as the drug dealer got. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, nothing I am about to say and nothing we're going to discuss in this conversation is in any way, shape, or form a defense of of the father, all right? Because this is appalling and disgusting behavior. But at the same time, he's been charged with homicide. He didn't sell her. He didn't sell the daughter the drugs. His only role was... Hey, he's a heroin user. He drives her to meet the dealer, and in exchange for that, she gives him some heroin. Should he be charged with homicide in connection with the death of the girl? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I understand under the law, the DA can, can, can make a case for this because... Well, he, he contributed, I guess he participated. She wouldn't have gotten the drugs um, were it not for you know his involvement in driving her there. And I have no problem at all charging the drug dealer, the person who sold him the drugs, with homicide. But Dad's role here, and Dad is obviously a heroin user as well, was simply to chauffeur daughter down to pick up the dope. Does this strike you as homicide? On the part of the dad, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should dad be charged with this crime? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 131. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're going to have a spirited conversation about whether it's appropriate in your mind, whether what dad did in driving his daughter to pick up heroin 
whether or not that should be something. Is that homicide on the part of dad? It's going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, before that, though, it is 132. Let's head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Eric Bilstead. The Keele police chief is giving credit to a teacher at the high school who called 911 when she thought she heard a gunshot. It was before classes were in session. Students were just starting to head to school. Officers stormed the building. Classes now have been canceled. Police chief says there is no evidence any shots were fired, but he gives her credit for making the phone call. Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald says an assembly bill that would expand background checks on long gun buyers is all but dead. The measure was passed Thursday by the assembly. The federal government currently performs those checks. Fitzgerald says he doesn't see that bill moving forward. And hours after threatening to veto the spending bill, President Trump is now vowing he will never sign another bill like it again. He has signed this one, calling it a matter of national security. Time for the WTMJ Drake and Associates market update. Right now, the Dow is down 18 to 23,939. The NASDAQ is down 52 to 7114. The S&P down 12 to 2631. WTMJ Pella, WI.com, time saver traffic. A couple of trouble spots that we've been following right now. 94 inbound from Layton through the construction into downtown. It's about a 9 to 10 minute trip, so a couple of minutes of delay. The hone is looking good. An issue from earlier has been cleared. 4145 southbound from Highway Q down to the zoo is fine. It's 15 minutes. However, from the zoo to the hail on 894, that is a slow go. You run into some congestion there, so it's about a four to five minute delay, about a nine minute ride from the zoo to the hail. Downtown all the way out to Highway 16 on I-94 is looking good. That's 17 minutes and 43 outbound from the Marquette to Brown Deer. Also in the clear, that's 12. Traffic is sponsored by the Milwaukee Admirals. Hashtag no hockey isn't just a slogan, it's an attitude. Milwaukee Admirals Hockey has a great family experience for a very affordable cost. Hashtag no hockey. Go Admirals. The WDTMJ 5-Day Forecast. Sunny today, a high of 41. Tonight, more clouds, a low of 25 inland. Saturday, partly cloudy with a slight, slight chance for snow to the far southwest, a high of 40. Sunday, sunny, a high of 42. Monday, partly to mostly cloudy. Showers by the nighttime on Monday, a high of 52. Tuesday, cloudy with rain, a high of 55. Right now in Milwaukee, it is 37 degrees. I'm Eric Bilstead, News Radio, WTMJ. I'm Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, all right, the dad is certainly not dad of the year, but is he a killer? Stick around. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, if you're just joining us, this is... I mean, it, it's really, it's a, it's an unfortunate and it's a very, very weird situation. A guy lives in Grafton. He's 60 years old. He is apparently a heroin addict. His 30 something year old daughter is a heroin addict. She finds places to score heroin in Milwaukee and dad a couple times a week will drive her down to meet the dealers. She'll get her heroin. She gives dad a little bit. That is their arrangement. One night last July, he drives her to 60th and Good Hope. She buys some heroin from a guy named Cheese. Um, she comes, they go back home. She gives dad a little bit of heroin. He snorts it. He goes off, leaves her. She uses the heroin. She overdoses and dies. Um, they're able to catch the dealer, Cheese. He gets charged, gets convicted, gets sentenced to eight years in prison. Um, for reckless homicide. That would be delivering the drugs that, that killed her. I have no problem with that at all. Matter of fact, my big question is why is the guy only getting eight years in prison for number one, selling heroin, and number two, selling heroin that led to somebody's death? All right? 
dad has now been charged with the same offense, reckless homicide, by the act of driving the daughter to the drug deal. Does that strike you as being right? Or is, is that is dad really responsible for the murder? And I understand nobody wants to come to the side of a guy who's a heroin user and who's driving his daughter to score heroin. But should this be a crime? 414, this a crime. I mean, obviously, there's all sorts of other crimes that were committed, including, you know, facilitating delivery of narcotics and things like that. But is this homicide? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Roy in Watertown. Roy, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Roy. Yes. I believe that, uh, I mean, that's, that's murder. That thing is murder. You think that, you think that what, you think driving, so you got, you got two drug addicts, one drives the other to the drug deal, and the one of them dies from an overdose. You think the person that drove them there, that's murder? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks for call. 414-799-1620. Well, I mean, that's what the DA's office says. And understand, I, I understand. They're, they're obviously, the theory is it's a party to a crime. And that, you know, by driving her there, you facilitated this. I, I guess I, I understand and see these charges from time to time. And I, I understand where they're coming from. And, and technically, in a legal sense, you, you could probably prove it. I will just say this. And this is from somebody who's just literally death on, on drug dealers. When you've got two addicts and one drives the other to the drug deal um, and, and then something bad happens, I have problems with that being murder. It's all sorts of other crimes, but but is it is it murder? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dick in Sheboygan. Dick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Dick. What do you think about all this? I feel that they did the right thing in charging him with the murder because of the fact that if you have two people, one drive is the driver and the other one goes into a store to rob them yeah. and kills the proprietor, they are both guilty of murder. Yeah, of and course. Just it, because he's the father doesn't mean that he should get off. Right, but in, but in your case, let, let's let's use a getaway car driver for a bank robbery, okay? Okay. I, um, yeah, you've got... You and I decide we're going to rob a bank, <laughs> and you and I and my producer grew. The three of us are going to rob a bank, and I'm the getaway car driver. Yes, you are exactly right. In that case, I am equally responsible. I'm a co-conspirator. We intend to rob that bank, and anything that foreseeably comes from what happens, you know, if somebody gets shot or hurt or whatever, I'm responsible because I'm a party to the crime. But we all agreed that the bank was going to be robbed. Is it different in this case because they didn't the, the two of them, the daughter and the dad, didn't agree that they were going to um, kill somebody? All they were trying to do was buy a little bit of dope. Yes, because that they did, maybe didn't agree to that they were going to shoot the anybody in the bank, right. but they did. And right. I feel that this is the same situation. It is tough and to because be because he's a father; he should not be gotten off because of. Losing a daughter. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It is tough to be sympathetic to the dad, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, and I think and I'm a father of four. Yeah, well, right. That, that's what's so. A matter of fact, it's you change the facts a little, and maybe it is a little bit more of a sympathetic situation because typically it's not family members. I mean, typically what happens is you know you, you've got you've got you've got the two junkies who are are scrambling around 
trying to figure out, okay, where are we going to find our drugs from? So one of them knows this drug dealer, Cheese, and so the other one drives them down there, and then they split the, the drugs. All they're trying to do is score dope. They're not, but I understand the theory here is this is what, it's one of the, you know, potential foreseeable consequences that could happen, and you're kind of a party to a crime to this. It's worse in this case, obviously, though, because it's dad. Nancy, who is calling us from Illinois. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello there. Can you, this, isn't this just mind-boggling that, you know, you, you think your family is messed up, huh? Right. Yeah. Everybody's got a little bit of messed up. But, yeah. you know, this guy, I just feel really strongly that he knew what was going on. It's not like he was an Uber driver who just right. got a cab, you know, a rider and took him off to their place and got him back home. He knew what was going on. His intention was to score himself. So... Um, yeah, he's totally responsible, in my opinion. So your theory is if the drug, and I think we would all agree, there's no question the drug dealer is responsible. So if the drug dealer was responsible because he's the one that distributed it, dad is responsible because he facilitated it by driving them to the deal. Absolutely. Yep. If she wouldn't have had daddy driving her, would she have gotten the drug elsewhere? Maybe, but she would have been on foot by herself. Right. Okay. Right. Thank. Or, yep. or she would have found some other driver, some other person to, you know, drive her. Let's talk to Carl in uh, Horicon. Carl, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Yeah. I was just wondering if uh, this wasn't one of uh, uh, Wagner's rule violations also, you know, <laughs> that nothing good happens when uh, you drive to buy drugs. Yeah. Yeah. That, right. It, it's, yeah. That, that, that's, cert- that's certainly a, like a 12A, you know. It, I mean, if, if, know, if rule 12 is, you know, nothing good happens out of sight of a strip club at two in the morning, nothing good happens driving to meet a drug dealer named Cheese on 60th right, and Good right. Hope. Yeah. But now, I, I would, I would definitely, uh, considered that uh, dad, you know, would be liable, okay, uh, because some of the other callers also said, you know, what if it were, you know, that they were, you know, driving to a grocery store mm-hmm. or a, a convenience store. Uh, he holds some liability because, you know, commission of a felony, you know, I don't know if $60 worth of heroin, you know, for that matter is uh, uh, a felony amount or not, but, you know, he had full knowledge that going and doing that was a crime. Yeah. And committing that crime. You know, he didn't have any consideration for anything other than himself. Right now, of course, right because he was trying to score. No, thanks. Now, of course, they they didn't they they didn't charge him with being party to a crime of drug dealing. That that to me is the easy one. That that that's clear. You know, I mean, he he involved in felony distribution of of narcotics. That's not a problem. And again, the, the, this is a little bit different than being the getaway car driver in the bank robbery because in that case. Yes, you are. You have agreed that you're going to be participating in the bank robbery. Your role is to be outside the bank in the getaway car, but you know you're still an active participant in that. And everything that is foreseeable, you, know, you go into a bank with guns. The fact that somebody could be shot, even if you didn't necessarily plan on that, you're responsible. I get that. This is a little bit more difficult, though, because what the dad agreed to wasn't wasn't hey, you know, one of us is going to die. It was okay. We're going to share. We're going to share the drugs. Let's talk to Landis on the South Side. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay. Should this is this murder in your mind? I don't believe it's murder. Um, should he be charged with something else? Definitely, but not to this, it's not to this extreme. Given the fact that he's also 
dealing with a drug issue him himself. Mm-hmm. And when that's the case, you're not in your right mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I'm not saying it's right, but, you know. No, no, no. Well, clear, right. I mean, if, if he had been charged with drug dealing himself, you know, being a party to a crime, facilitating the drug deal, I don't think there would be any question at all. I mean, he did it. He drove her to a drug deal. You know, he helped facilitate it. But that's not what he's charged with now. He's charged with murder, which is that, that extra element. Right, right. Um, okay, no, th- thanks for calling. It's, it's something to think about. And again, I'm not criticizing the district attorney. I, I'm not. I understand where these charges come from. This is not the first time that we have had charges like this. I, I will say, and again, I the, the drug dealer, throw the book at him. I'd be curious as to why he only got eight years in prison. Um, I, I will admit that, put it put aside the fact that it's the dad, which, uh, of course, you know, just is mind-blowing on a lot of levels. It's like, okay, you, you've got two junkies who are trying to score, and it's just by happenstance that one says, hey, this is my drug dealer. Can you? I, I've got the person I can go to. Can you give me a ride down there? By the act of giving that person the ride, if something bad happens, are you a party to crime of murder? Um, I, I think under the law, it's probably technically correct, but I don't think the dad is as culpable as, say, the drug dealer would be. This does underscore, however, that um, does underscore, however, just how, first of all, how just insidious, you know, heroin is and these opioid addictions are. My God, you've got the 60-year-old dad and now the 32-year-old daughter, um, you know, who are wrapped up in this stuff. And number two, it, it does also, I think, demonstrate how stuff can happen. You know, I, I don't think anybody contemplated that, gee, there's going to be an overdose, somebody's going to die, yet that is precisely what happened. Nothing good comes of this. All right, when we come back, I want to switch gears. They're going after your tax refund if you don't pay up. Is it right? Stick around. It's 147. 151, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Insight 2018, just five days away. Tickets are going fast. It's your chance to get a behind-the-scenes look at how we do the radio show, how we put it together, and be in the room to hear from Governor Scott Walker about his bid for re-election. You can reserve your tickets by heading to WTMJ.com. But I tell you what, tell you what, I've got a pair of tickets to come see the show. It is Wednesday, March 28th at the Country Springs Hotel. Doors open at 5.30. Taping starts at 6.30. I'll have you out of there before 9. I promise it's going to be a lot of fun. If you would like to join me in a cast of tens, if not hundreds, if not thousands, um, well, the cast will be tens. We'll have hundreds of people there, I'm pretty sure. Um, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's give them to caller number 11. Caller number 11 wins a pair of tickets to Insight 2018 next Wednesday night, presented by our friends at Annex Wealth Management. Um, it's going to be great. One of our guests, by the way, and there was kind of an indirect reference to him during that last commercial block, um, the following Tuesday. So Insight is next Wednesday. The following Tuesday is the is Election Day. And there's one race that everybody in the state of Wisconsin can vote for, and that is the state Supreme Court race. Um, Judge, Sauk County Judge Mike Skranek. Um, is running. He is the conservative choice. He is going to join me at Insight. And we're going to talk about a number of things. His opponent is, is this Judge Rebecca Dallet, a Milwaukee County judge. And you, you heard the, the, the ad was talking about her sort of bizarre sentencing. But th- this is one of the most amazing Supreme Court races. And I don't say that in a bad, I don't say that in a good way that I have, I have ever seen. Um, 
Rebecca Dallet has made the decision that to get elected, she is at least, in my opinion, um, decided to kind of throw ethics to the wind. I mean, see, judges, judges are supposed to interpret the law. Now, I understand that judges bring their own biases and perceptions and stuff to the law, and the law is an art, not a science. But Rebecca Dallet is essentially running for governor under the guise of running for the state Supreme Court. She She's talking about how she would rule on various legislative issues. I don't like Act 10, so I would have struck that down. I'm opposed to mass incarceration, which means she doesn't like to hold criminals accountable. She's off in San Francisco raising money from national liberal interests this week, and this is where she comes up with her infamous San Francisco values. Here's what she says. It's San Francisco. Like, this is awesome. The people. I know that your values are our Wisconsin values that we've lost along the way. So the values in San Francisco, we in Wisconsin, we share your values, but somehow we, we lost them when we elected that Scott Walker and those Republicans to the legislature. So what are San Francisco values? Is that, okay, sanctuary cities, we're not going to hold illegal aliens accountable. Mass incarceration, that's a bad sort of thing. We, we don't want to put people in prison for committing crimes. Um, she goes on to then talk about how we're, we're going to beat Scott Walker. This is our opportunity to send a message. We can beat Scott Walker. We can beat Paul Ryan. This is a woman who wants to be a judge on the state Supreme Court, for God's sake, talking about how you elect. And I mean, I think the only way you can interpret these comments is you elect me. And I'm going, I don't care whether it's legal or not. I don't care about court precedent. You elect me, and I'm going to use my position to strike down and rein in these things because we're all together. We're the liberal elite. We know better. Who cares what the law is? Who cares whether it was done in a lawful fashion? Who cares about what the uh, elected officials do? I'm going to... I'm going to use my power if you put me on the state Supreme Court. I'm going to mass incarceration. Legislature passes laws putting people in prison. I can do better than that. I mean, I'm I'm the one who knows this. Electing Rebecca Dallet to the state Supreme Court would be an absolute disaster. And And what's happened here is... At least, see, a lot of times when you have the liberal justice, people who want to be the liberals on the court, they at least pretend to be otherwise. This case, I mean, there's no pretense at all. And here's what's going on. Because um, liberals think that Donald Trump is unpopular um, and that there's been some of these special elections that have gone against Republicans, that now means that the left is going to be more mobilized. They're going to turn out. They're going to want to send a message to Scott Walker by electing an uber lefty and putting her on the state Supreme Court. Um, Dallas already said, hey, you know, if, if I were there, Act 10, forget that type of stuff. All right, that's not what a judge is supposed to be, and it's certainly not what a justice is supposed to be. Now, I don't know where the enthusiasm level comes down in this race. I, I, I don't. But typically... Arguing about how, hey, we've got San Francisco values. We've just gone, we've lost our way. 
Um, I'm against mass incarceration. I'm against putting people in prison. Typically, that that has not been a recipe for success. Now, maybe 2018 is, is different, but the question is going to be, are conservatives going to be mobilized, motivated to get out and vote a week from Tuesday? I don't know what the answer is, but I do know it's very clear that there's one candidate in this race that you should definitely definitely be voting for and that's mike skrenick all right we're back with much more in just a couple minutes it's 157 this is jeff wagner wtmj 209 jeff wagner wtmj so eric i I have three people today have sent texts you know what the question is about insight is there alcohol available (laughs) (laughs) good question i i I, you know and I, i i think and we don't run it. I think the Country Springs has a cash bar. I mean, yeah, I, I see, think they do. See, I, and the reason I, I hate to sound dumb about that, and it's your event, you should know. But well, I'm, I'm kind of you're that working. Night, <laughs> trust me, yeah, that, that night I'm behind the scenes trying to figure out how you're, you know, the questions you're going to how to keep the show moving. And yeah. but I, I think. I think there's a cash bar. I, I, think. I believe there has been in the past. In the front, yes. yeah. I, so not like in the actual room, but in the right, yeah. right. Yeah. Don't now, don't don't rely on that if you're deciding <laughs> to come or not. But I, I, I think for those who really need that, right, right, yeah. I, I, but I, I think there there is, but I, I'm not, I'm not. 100 percent positive but hmm. whether or not you can buy and, and look and I, i'm not mocking that question i i i get it but whether whether there is or not it's still it's always a great time so so come on out regardless yeah. but we're hearing that sober or not well sober is better <laughs> you know so uh, sober is better. i won't be drinking i guarantee you that hey did you see i'm gonna let you i don't want to make you comment on this but did you see this this latest thing about chris abley they um Okay, there's you've got the state Supreme Court election. I was just mm-hmm. talking about that. Um, and then Milwaukee County supervisors, you know, they have two year terms, so they're up for election. Um, Journal Sentinel is reporting that on Monday, um, this leadership Milwaukee, which is one of these political action committees yep, yep, that he's a part of. Well, it gets better. He's it. I mean, forget forget part of Okay, They're going to report that um they have eight hundred and five thousand dollars um that has been used to try to defeat five county supervisors. Yeah. Um of that eight hundred and five thousand dollars, Abley has put in seven hundred and ninety of it. So that's why I say yeah he's a part of it, but he's it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, there, yeah. there's fifty only fifteen thousand dollars extra. That's on top of um, you know, all the dough he spent over $350,000 last fall trying to run the ads to get the wheel tax through. It's unprecedented. It is unprecedented. Um, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going to let you go because I don't want, I don't want to put you on the spot here. I will say this because I get paid to comment on stuff. I, I you, This comes from the perspective of somebody who's a regular critic of the Milwaukee County Board. This is wrong. I don't want to say wrong. Chris Abley gets to spend his father's money however he chooses to do. Okay, that that's it. But this is something I never thought I'd be saying that I think this is a motivator to to vote for incumbent county board supervisors. But this is scary. Here's what Abley is trying to do. And he's he's going after Theo Lipscomb, who is the county board chairman who has bucked Abley on various things, including let's not have a $60 wheel tax. Let's not put um, parking meters in at beer gardens and on the lakefront. So what Abley is trying to do is twofold. First of all, use his father's money to try to, again, pack the county board 
with people who are going to be toadies of his. He's also trying to send a message to anyone else that if you don't do what I want, if you don't do what King Chris wants, you're going to be next. And I'm going to come after you. The Journal Sentinel story says Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley has personally spent more than a million dollars to buy messages targeting his county board critics and attempting to influence the outcome of several contested races for supervisor seats in the spring election. Again, he, he gets to do it. You know, if, if that's how he chooses to spend a million dollars of his father's money, that, that's okay. He gets to do it. But he, people need to know what is going on. Uh, the story continues. Leadership Milwaukee, the independent political expenditure committee he created this year, will report Monday that ably has provided nearly all of its funding, $790,000. Of those funds, Leadership Milwaukee, that would be ably has paid out more than $456,000 as of March 18th to support ably's preferred candidates in just five supervisor districts. Think of that. You're talking about county supervisor seats. And here you have Abley dumping almost half a million dollars into just five of those districts. Um, there's apparently an ad on cable television now that's targeting Theodore Lipscomb. And again, Lipscomb, I, I've disagreed with Lipscomb on all sorts of things, like the Esterbrook Park Dam and stuff like that. But but he's been one of the guys that has stood up to some of the, I, I think, irresponsible things that Abley has tried to do. And um, they're they're going after him for it in a somewhat sort of misleading way. So Abley gets to do this, but let's make no mistake about what he's trying to do. He's trying to elect people that will be his toadies, and he's trying to send a message to other supervisors, if you don't fall into line, I am going to crush you, because being a county supervisor is a part-time job. If you don't do what I say, um, I, I'm going to crush you. I'm going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of my father's money trying, or my inheritance trying to unseat you, and you're not going to be able to raise any money. You will be crushed by the Chris Abley machine. And again, as, as much as it pains me, one of the people who's targeted is Peggy Romo West. She's the um, she was the county supervisor that was geographically challenged and not realizing that, like, what, Arizona shared a border with Mexico or something like that. But And it, and it pains me to try to defend Peggy Romo West, so I won't. But she's one of the people that's been targeted by Abley. Theodore Lipscomb's been targeted by Abley. Stephen Taylor. It just – you get to decide that. But keep in mind, some of these incumbent supervisors – if you see these ads and you wonder where this is coming from and who's saying all these awful things about him, it's Abley because he wants his people on the county board and he's willing to throw around his family money to do that. All right. When we come back, they're having trouble collecting. This is what they're going to try to do. Do you have a problem with it? Stick around. It's 216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A number of inside attendees are saying there is a bar. <laughs> right, so I, no, that's a fair question to ask. It, it, there, it's a cash bar. We don't run it, but the Country Springs Hotel runs it. I, that's, I'm, I'm all in I'm all in favor of that. that <laughs> that's good. It's just, And I, that's perhaps something I should know, except I'm always behind the scenes getting ready to kind of do the show. Um, all right. There, there are people, and perhaps you know some of them, 
who get parking tickets and who just tear them up because they do not care. It's just, for whatever reason, parking tickets are nothing but kind of wallpaper. Now, for most people, you would care about that because you get the unpaid parking tickets. Maybe there could be warrants out for your arrest for the unpaid parking tickets, or you get collection people that call you. Some people just don't flat out care about that, and they just make the decision not to pay. Now, there's a number of things that authorities can do. Um, for people who have unpaid parking tickets, you can, for example, a municipality can go to the State Department of Transportation, the DOT, and they can um, have your registration suspended for unpaid parking tickets. Well, the problem is a lot of people don't care about that. What difference does it make if the registration suspended? I'm going to drive the car anyways. Who cares? Um, and it doesn't get you anywhere. Under the law, there is something that, that you can do. And that is if municipalities choose, they can intercept your tax returns, your tax refunds, your state tax refund. So, again, that doesn't work for everybody because many of the people that rack up huge you know, parking fines don't pay income taxes and or you know don't file forms or don't get refunds or whatever. But if you do file a state tax return, um, and you are a parking ticket scoff law. One of the things the state can that the municipality can do is they can say, "Okay, we're going to seize seize your um, your tax refund." In Milwaukee, there, there's tens of millions of dollars in outstanding parking tickets. Um, in Green Bay, apparently, right now they have eight hundred and thirty thousand dollars in unpaid parking tickets. So what Green Bay has decided to do is they said, "We haven't done this for years." Because, you know, again, it's, it's a controversial thing, but this is what we're going to do. We are going to participate in this intercept program. So, yeah, we are going to essentially seize income tax um, refunds. This is how we're going to get paid from people who have these outstanding parking tickets. Now, this is controversial for, for some. You know, they think, oh, it's not fair. You're, you know, okay, you're you're hurting people who you know don't have that much money in the beginning, in the first place. How can you take their income tax refunds? Well, I would say it's easy. Let's tee this up. We just got a couple minutes. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're not talking about seizing vehicles. We're not talking about incarcerating people who have unpaid parking tickets, but this is one of the things that's out there. If you have people that have unpaid parking tickets, and I would imagine as a practical matter, it's probably most of the people they're going to be going after, quite candidly, it's not for a $15 ticket. Could be wrong, but my guess is, you know, it's for the people who have the larger amounts of, of tickets. And there's some people, I mean, I'm looking at this one story that was out there um, in USA Today talking about there, there's one guy who, who's racked up over $3,000 in, in parking tickets. He, you know, um, is listed as Green Bay's worst offender. The guy has racked up 75 parking tickets, mostly for overnight street parking in front of his house. He gets the tickets and just tears them up. All right, what are you going to do? Suspend the registration of my car? I don't care. Do you have a problem with, in this case it would be Green Bay or the city of Milwaukee or whatever, essentially attaching tax refunds in an effort to collect unpaid parking fines. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
We're back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. As for me, I got no problem at all. If you know, if you if you don't want your tax refund attached, no problem. Just pay your darn parking tickets. Two twenty four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two twenty six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If somebody there's a text, if somebody has over a thousand parking fines, their vehicle should be towed until it's paid in full, with a possible penalty. Besides, we need make certain people follow the law one way or the other. Well, I, I mean, look, I it, I guess I look at this and say, if you've got unpaid parking tickets, you got a couple of things you can do. If you think the ticket was issued improperly, you go to court, you fight it. All right, but if you don't and you owe the money, well, then you got to pay it. And if threatening to suspend your registration on your car isn't a deterrent, well, then grab your tax refund. Fred in Shorewood. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Fred. And my uh, crystal ball, uh, it looks like uh, Mr. Uber is going to get some parking tickets uh, maybe today, maybe next month. Uh, are we going to ever be able to collect any money from Mr. Uber? When you talk about, I mean, I, I don't know what you mean by Mr. Uber. Are you talking about like Uber drivers or something like that? Well, well, yeah. I mean, because if you're an Uber driver and you amass, that's your car, and you amass, you know, parking tickets. Yeah, you're 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 going to have to pay just like everybody else pays. It seems to me. I I guess I just think this is one where, um, again, to me, it's a no brainer. Um, municipalities, I think, should be doing everything they possibly can to collect money that is owed to them. That is in the taxpayer interest. And again, if you think you've unfairly gotten parking tickets, and I believe me, I get that, especially in Milwaukee, you know, where their policy is, I think, a- aggressive parking enforcement. Well, then you go to City Hall and you fight it and, and you try to beat the ticket. But if you don't do that, you owe the money. You should pay your fine. And if you don't pay your fine, just be prepared for the consequences. Hey, we've got uh, Pop Culture Corner coming up in a couple minutes. It's actually a very fun one. Um, it's a very fun and a current one that we'll talk about in just a minute or two. But before that, I, I had one of these moments yesterday where I'm just kind of screaming at the television. Uh, Karen McDougal, she is, she is the former Playboy model who says she had a, a long-standing affair with Donald Trump, now President Trump. Okay. All right. And, and you know, he denies this. My guess is, just like the, the claims by the, uh, what's her name, Stormy Daniels, as I always say, I, I just if you want to figure out your porn star name, you take the name of your pet when you were a child in the street you grew up in, and that's what it is. Mine would have been Sunshine Acacia or Acacia Sunshine. But, okay, so Stormy Daniels, and just like Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, I understand the president says these women are making this up. I don't believe him. I mean, I think I think it's probably pretty clear that this is what happened. But anyhow, anyhow Karen McDougal, um, think of or what you want, the former Playboy model. She is she's giving this interview with CNN, apologizing to the first lady for sleeping with the first lady's husband. Um, I knew he was married during our alleged twist tryst. I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, sorry about that. Oh, give me a break. I mean, sir, I, that, that, give me a break. I, I, 
I mean, every you can decide how significant you feel this is, and you can you know you can say, okay, does this reflect on President Trump's character? Um, why does he continue to deny this? All those type of things. But for goodness sakes, the Playboy model goes on TV and says, oh. I'm really sorry, and I want to. I want to apologize to Melania for sleeping with her husband. I'm really sorry. Um, yeah, right. And that's all. I think part of the. Oh, and and by the way, you know, if I get out from under this agreement, I'm going to write my book or whatever and make a whole bunch of money, and maybe people will be more sympathetic to me. Um, everybody involved in this whole sordid story, they all kind of deserve each other, and that would be. That would be President Trump if he was doing this back in 2006 and the Playboy model and the porn actress. They just all kind of deserve each other on this particular issue. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's time for Pop Culture Corner. We are live streaming. If you go to Facebook.com backslash WTMJ, you can see us here in the studio. Can see Gru through the window and me here, so we're going to doing pop culture corner. But but first though, I, I know this is what inquiring minds want to know, and it's courtesy of the Journal Sentinel. See, I raised this question a while ago when we had the huge controversy over the the switch from Clements Racing Sausages to Johnsonville Racing Sausages. My point was that look, I, I love brats. Okay, I'm a brat guy, but but hot dogs are are a staple, and Clements. Um, doesn't make hot dogs. So my question was, what? what's, uh, I'm sorry, Johnsonville doesn't make hot dogs. Clements does. So Johnsonville doesn't make hot dogs. What was what was going to happen? You know, were they not going to sell hot dogs or whatever? You got to have hot dogs at baseball games. And um, they're just announcing that. Apparently the Brewers have cut a deal with Hebrew National, which is a very famous hot dog brand um, founded in New York City in 1905. Um, now it's owned by by ConAgra, which is part of this giant food operation. But uh, Hebrew National Hot Dogs are going to be sold, so they've got an extra sponsorship here. But to answer the burning question about you know the you know which, and I would not have guessed this either, but this was the order: the racing sausages that won the most. Polish, the Polish was the top finisher. I wouldn't have guessed that. Hot dog was number two. Chorizo was number three. Italian was fourth, and the brat only won seven times out of eighty-one. And I'm always rooting for the brat. I'm a brat guy, but um, maybe, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll get a faster brat this year. Maybe that'll be one of the effects. Okay, this is the time when we put away the heavy lifting. We stop talking about the president and the tariff policies and signing the omnibus bill, and we stop talking about crime and things like that. We have a little bit of fun going into the good weekend. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. We talk about a number of different things. Generally speaking, it's something that kind of tickles my fancy that I hope will tickle yours based on something in the news. I, as I've talked about before, I grew up in uh, Glendale, and I some people collect rare books. Some people collect stamps. Um, I collect bars. I, I, I love going to different bars. And one of the things I always try to do when I'm going to a city that I haven't been to before is I always try to find a bar in that city that's famous for something and then check it out. Um, you know, we were in Key West a couple of weeks ago. Well, there, there's all sorts of places in Key West. You've got famous bars. You've got 
um, you know, Sloppy Joe's, which is kind of a tourist place, but it's, you know, been there. Hemingway drank there. So you buy the T-shirts, they get pictures of Hemingway. You know, you've got Captain Tony's that are right down the way. They're, they're these different bars that you go to. And I always try to find a bar in a particular community where, you know, you, you, you can go and you can check it out. And it's just, it's kind of what I do. Um, you know, we were in Florence a few years ago, and so I, I found, you know, um, you know, Harry's, um, Cafe American. You know, it's just, it's one of those sort of places you, you want to go find them. And one of the things that I like about, you know, to me, the perfect bar is kind of like Cheers. It's the place where everybody knows your name, where you feel comfortable going to, um, just a fun, fun place. Now, I grew up in Glendale. That's how I started this. And if you were growing up in Glendale and the drinking age was 18, once once you were old enough to go into a bar, everybody at some point in time or another found their way over to the Silver Spring House on, you know, in Glendale. It's been there, well, I mean, it's been there for like 100 years. And, you know, they had fish fries and had different names and different owners and stuff. But it's been there forever. And... Sort of suddenly, about a month or so ago, people announced that the Silver Spring House was closing. And it came as a shock for, you know, a lot of people. And I hadn't been there in a long time. But still, I mean, it was kind of the place where if you graduated from Nicolay High School, you know, when you came back over Thanksgiving or Christmas break, that's where you would meet your friends. It was one of those places that, you know, people thought would be there forever. And what had happened is the owner for years and years and years had passed away and sold it to a couple other people. And it just, it, it wasn't quite as successful and thriving, but it was like, gosh, I can't believe I was talking to all these people. I can't believe that the silver spring house closed. Well, the story is that, um, Somebody has come in and put in a bunch of money, and apparently they're, they're going to reopen. So that bar is going to be, you know, reopened. So if that was your cheers, you know, once again, that place is going to be there. Okay, so I thought it might be fun to talk about watering holes, to talk about bars. And here is my question. What, what, is, your, what is your pub? What is your bar of choice? What is your cheers? That place you go where... If, if everybody doesn't know your name, nevertheless, it's a welcoming sort of place. And what makes a great Wisconsin bar? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Pop Culture Corner this Friday. The greatest Wisconsin bar. Your cheers. The place that you love to go and you wish everybody else could go there or at least should know about. 414-799-1620. Again, as we always say, try to call early because our phone lines tend to clog up. And go with your first instinct. You don't need to overthink this. What is your cheers? We are also live streaming this on Facebook Live. So if you go to facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, you can see what we look like in the studio. Back with your calls and comments. What is your cheers? The pub that you just love to go to because... Everybody knows your name or would if you got a chance to go there more. It's 241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Pop Culture Corner. Your cheers. Great bar where everybody knows your name. Text. This is this is kind of an interesting walk down memory lane group. Uh, the guy says, Dick's Last Resort in Chicago. Check them out online. A place you have to try at least once. I have not been to the one in Chicago. Dick's. 
I've been to the one in San Diego. I've been to the one in uh, Cleveland. Um, and it, they, they sell crab legs. And the big thing is that they, um, they have these t-shirts that say, I got crabs at Dick's. <laughs> You know, I think I, I think I have a, I have one of those shirts. Don't ask me what possessed to buy me to buy that shirt, but but I did. I'm so proud of myself. Derek in West Bend. Derek, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Derek. I, I think I know what probably possessed me to buy that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, um, my uh, uh, grandfather uh, took over the Silver Spring House from his grandfather, and my mom actually lived there with her sisters. Cool. It was really neat to hear you give a mention to the Silver Spring House, and that was that was, that was awesome. Um, when did they sell it? When did your family get out of the business? Uh, it was a long time yeah. ago. Um, Elvin Hom was his name, and he ended up moving to Continental Can. Okay. Um, they got out of the business a while ago, but we still have my mom, uh, especially, still has posters from right. when they had bands there and stuff. Um, but I and now that I, I got the show stolen from me by the guy. Before with Chicago, <laughs> the, the chip in is C H I P P N. Is uh, you're not going to find a franchise of it, and if you get down to Chicago, you got to see it, um, and you got to go in there. It's really unique and it's fantastic. But probably take an Uber there. <laughs> well, right, that, that's it. Right, yeah. Be be responsible. Okay, the chip in. Thanks to call, Derek. I want to try to get to as many as I possibly can. Let's talk to Jerry in Bayview. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jerry. Oh, lost Jerry. Let's try um, Jerry in Glendale. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you much. My sanctum sanctorum is Johnson's <laughs> Green 7, which is just down a little south of the Silver Spring House. And what I love about it is um, I go there to watch all the Badger football, basketball games. There's a whole bunch of people that know each other. It's like you're walking into your own living room where you can throw your shoes off. And you can have conversation about a variety of things, including politics, where people don't end up in an argument with each other. They have a great uh, corned beef sandwich and an excellent chef salad. That's my favorite spot. Well, it's I, I, I thanks to call. I, I I know that place um, because when my parents were in assisted living. Um, the assisted living facility they were in when they were still with us was right across. It was Kitty Corner from there. So I, yeah, I mean, if you grew up in Glendale, you you've been in the Green Seven as well. See, and and that's the cool thing that that's, you know, I, that's what I love about the pubs and stuff. And and it's not just about going and finding a place to get a beer because you can find that place anywhere. But you know, it is it's the the socialization aspect of it that I think is, is so very very cool. Let's talk to. Jerry in Bayview. Jerry, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Jeff, I had to call because when you said everybody knows your name, fourth base, they have the great art of whenever somebody walks in for the first time, the second time you walk in, they remember your name. <laughs> but, but if you ever fed to fourth base, which is just south of Miller Park, they, don't, they do not have a menu. They have a display case. You take a look at it. You, you tell them what you would like, and boom, they fix it from simple hamburgers to crab legs, lobsters, steaks. Uh, it, it is incredible, and it's a really, really fun place, especially with the sports memorabilia they have there. Right, right. My, see, my, my only comment about that is it is good to ask them how much it's going to be when you start picking stuff out since there's no menu. Because <laughs> it, it can kind of get, it can kind of get, there could be a surprise factor. But no, thanks to call. I mean, the fourth base is, is legendary. 414-799-1620. Eddie in Franklin. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks 
taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I got to say, the lucky chance in West Dallas, uh, the, the place is like family. You walk in there, everybody knows you. Uh-huh. Great food. And uh, Kelly behind the bar, she's a, a mixologist. She <laughs> makes up some great drink specials. Uh, then they have live music. I mean, it's just all around just uh, one of the best bars I've ever been to. You know, it, it's funny. You know, now when I was growing up, when I was younger, you, you'd, it was easier to find live music. You don't see that anywhere near as much anymore. And I, I don't know why that. Maybe it's because, you know, everybody wants to watch sports on TV or stuff like that. And I get it. But I, I miss live music. Oh, they mix it up, too. It's not just one genre. And, and they, they, they really cater to the local music. They've got a nice little stage in there. Nothing too big. You know, you'll see acoustic. You'll see... You know, uh, right. live rock bands, just, just a, a little bit of everything. But, yeah, yeah it, it's totally awesome. Sometimes in the, in, in the Packer season, they even, you know, put out food for you during right. halftime. I mean, it's just a great little place to go to. Like I said, everybody there, it's like family. Well, that, and see, and that's the thing. I mean, thanks for that. That's the thing. It is the place where, like, everybody knows your name. That was one of the cool things when, when we were in Key West a few weeks ago. And, again, it, it's a touristy thing. But they've got all these different, like, little bars um, a lot of them are open air sort of things, or they've got the big courtyards, and almost every place has some local musician that, that's playing. Um, so you can go sit anywhere and have a drink, and you know, watch the live music, and it's it's pretty cool. Let's talk to um, let's see, Eric in Grafton. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Eric. Um, in Beansville, Baba Bowie's home of the horse tooth jackass. <laughs> where? Okay, where is that? I know Thiensville. Where is that place? Uh, it's on the corner of Main Street, just north of uh, Mecklenburg Road. Okay, all right. You got, I got. I got to think of that. I th- thanks for calling. I haven't. I, I know. I know the area. I'm trying to picture that. But you know, th- that's the other cool thing about uh, about living in this area. There's there's all these great little corner bars, many of which have been there forever, maybe under different ownerships or stuff like that. And, and you walk in, and they're, they're all kind of the same. A lot of times you're going to find the owner behind the bar, and maybe now I understand that there's pressure to have all the different kinds of beers. You can't just get away necessarily with you know having Schlitz or Pabst or whatever. But um, a, a lot of these places are just, just so much fun to um, be in. Let's talk to Mary on the east side. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Your favorite, your Cheers, your favorite our, bar. Our Cheers on the east side is Henry's mm-hmm. Oven Grill. Um, it's, it's right, 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 Henry's. right next to the pizza, the new Pizza Man, right, right? Yeah, right. It's the old Henry's from the old um, Coffee Trader. Mm-hmm. Um, the same old bar and beast and. Everybody knows your name there as well. Yeah, and it's a little. It's it's a small place. Matter of fact, I I know a. Uh, a friend of mine years ago, um, she used to tend bar there occasionally and stuff. And so we, yeah, every once in a while, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, every once in a while, we'd stop in there. No, I mean, it, it was just a, it was a great place. Patty in Oak Creek. Patty, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I am well, thank you. Okay, your cheers, the bar you go to. Okay. In the OC, Herbs Muck. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, I have never been there, but. People rave no, but right, but people rave about it because all the different. I'm I'm kind of a well, my best friend is actually a beer snob. I'm his wingman, you know. But I mean, I'm told that they just have incredible different, incredible selections of beer and all. And I've just I've just never gotten down there. Yeah, you got to get down there. They totally welcome you, and uh, it's a great place to go. And awesome fish fries too. So you guys check it out, Jeff. All right, well, I, I'll so I, it's one of those places that I walk in, everybody's going to turn around and say, "Hey, Jeff, welcome here, huh?" Yeah, they're going to very much welcome you. Oh, well, that's. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, that, that's it. Uh, Patty sent me. Okay, see, that's it. Patty sent me. I, I've been meaning to check out Irv's mug. There's just so many great places around. Um, and and it's, I mean, I don't have a problem with the chain places and all like that, but I tell you, I mean, some of these corner taps and stuff uh, with the local owners can't go wrong. Okay, I am out of time. Um, it is 2.54 when we come back. Speaking of great local bars slash restaurants slash fish fry establishments, John McCure is in Wauwatosa with the We Love Wisconsin Tour. He's at McBob's. I hope he's going to have a cheeseburger for me. We'll check in with John in just a minute. If you're watching us or have been watching us on Facebook Live, thank you. You can go back and watch that, uh, watch the segment again. It's up there forever. It's 2.54. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Like I say, they're on the road. This is Jeff Wagner.